welcome to the Chronic Sex Podcast. Chronic Sex talks about how self-love, relationships, sex, and sexuality are all affected by chronic illness and disability. That's not all, though. We'll also touch on intersectionality, social justice, empathy, current events, and much, much more. Given the range of subject matter, this podcast is not suitable for those under the age of 18, and unless you have headphones, you probably shouldn't be listening to us at work. My name's Kirsten Schultz, and I'm your host. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of Chronic Sex. I am so excited for today's episode. It's absolutely fantastic. Um... Before I dive into that, I want to give a shout out to my patrons over at patreon.com slash chronic sex. Um, that would be Andrew Gerza, the amazing host of Disability After Dark, Nico, Rafe, Kylie, Elatrice, and brand new patron Diane, who is donating $10 a month, which is absolutely fantastic, and I might have cried. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but if you if you want to join them in supporting through a monthly donation for all the cool stuff that I do um, and, and help me get to conferences and things like that, you can do that again over at patreon.com slash chronic sex. Um, and there are other ways to support the site. If you just go to chroniccex.org slash support dash us, it will have more. Um, so today uh, we'll be talking with my friend Isabel Loren, um, who is a blogger, writer of erotica, and sex toy reviewer. She believes in better sex education for everyone. And when she's not at her day job or writing, she can be found reading, crocheting, or spending time with her husband and kids. She's going to talk to us today about her journey with endometriosis. And uh, since it is Endometriosis Awareness Month, I thought that might be kind of a nice, uh, you know, thing to talk about today. So, um, in in... Isabel's post that I will share a link to about her um, endometriosis diagnosis and and her journey with that. Um, she has some stats from the UK included in there, and um, I am looking up right now stats for the US because <laughs> I didn't look them up yet. Um, but it is between 2 and 10% of women or uterus owners, thank you, of reproductive age are afflicted with endometriosis, which renders 30 to 40% of them infertile, which I hate that that is so much the focus, and I'll talk about that in, in my uh, conversation with Isabel, but um, it often is the focus, unfortunately. Um, for a lot of people, they go undiagnosed for a very long time. As we will hear with Isabel, hers is probably longer than most, but um, I wanted to also take a minute to talk about a couple other um, 
pieces coming out, books coming out, and other people talking about the lack of recognition of women's pain. Um, the first is my friend Abby Norman, who I'm very lucky to know. Um, her book just came out called Ask Me About My Uterus, A Quest to Make Doctors Believe in Women's Pain. Um, and she is absolutely fantastic. She has a number of health issues um, that she is juggling right now as she works on doing her, her book touring, which is absolutely fantastic. But um, I, I am very excited to dive into the book when I get a chance. Um, kind of Abby's story is not dissimilar from Isabel's. Uh, the, the timing isn't quite as long from uh, onset to actual diagnosis. But um, she had to drop out of college and essentially do all of the legwork to finding her uh, diagnosis herself. And it took a very long time to get doctors to listen to her, um, which is absolutely absolutely frustrating and she has spent a lot of uh nights staying up because she can't sleep thinking about how many other people are going through very similar things um the one of the most wonderful things about watching abby's journey um as she writes and and gets more publicity for her book she um Jillian Anderson of the X-Files and many other things um, has written about how absolutely fantastic she thinks Abby's writing is, how raw it is, um, and and how it's a much-needed voice, which is, um, for those of you who don't know Abby, she is an X-Files nut. Um, (laughs) I think if you put the two of us in a room and gave us the entire set of X-Files, we wouldn't come out for weeks and weeks and weeks longer than it would take to watch the shows because we would just sit there and talk about them. Um, so for for someone like Jillian Anderson to say, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, I think Abby's kind of on the top of the moon with that. Um, one of the cool things, and I'll, I'll link to some of these things, uh, she's had a lot of publicity going on. Um, she's been featured in like, I think Washington Post, Rewire, um, Bitch Media, like a number of other pieces. Uh, and I really, really, really like this answer to a question from her Rewire interview. Um, so I'm just going to read it because it's absolutely fantastic. So the question is, what would you like to see from now on in terms of reproductive and gender-inclusive medical research? And, and this is Abby's answer. We can't frame these issues of being all in somebody's head or the result of some physical manifestation of unresolved Freudian psychological turmoil. That doesn't mean we have to completely discount the fact that a major, influential, important, and valid component of these experiences is around mental health, and that support on that front is absolutely vital. I look at the long history that we were up against as vulnerable people. I look at the current socio-political climate, and I do not feel, I do feel not necessarily hopeless, but just very cautiously optimistic that things could change. It's not going to be something that happens overnight, just like we didn't get here overnight. 
I hope this book will become a tool for people who are trying to advocate, make a change, and do the work, but I'm also aware you can't have that piece of it without ultimately being dragged into the opposition as well, which is fierce and determined to drag people down who are fighting for these issues and to silence them. The only thing I really know for sure is that I have had this experience, but if I can even help one person feel empowered enough to share that with people and to live it and own it in a way, I'll feel like I have done what I was set up to do. Um, Abby's not feeling great right now. Uh, the, The stress of doing the book touring is a lot um, would be a lot for anyone who's abled, but, but to have multiple health issues, um, it's, it's not great. So she's not doing super great right now. So if you do positive thoughts or anything like that and like send them her way, that would be so cool because she definitely needs it. Um, there are two other books coming out or that have come out. I am terrible at dates on these things, but um, <laughs> that I do want to highlight that are along similar lines as well. Um, the first is called Doing Harm, The Truth About How Bad Medicine and Lazy Science Leave Women Dismissed, Misdiagnosed, and Sick by Maya Dusenberry. I hope I didn't pronounce that terribly wrong. Um And, you know, she's been featured in Rewire and a number of other spaces as well. She has rheumatoid arthritis, um, and and her diagnosis came when she was 27. And during that time period, she found out that over 50 million Americans have autoimmune diseases, and the majority of us are women or uterus owners, thank you, while her path to the diagnosis was smooth. Um, it, it does take about an average of four years and four doctors to go from being labeled hysterical or a chronic complainer for patients, especially with a rare illness, um, and which is often longer if you have lower income, less access to health care, if you're a person of color, etc. And, um, you know, Maya really set out to help talk about these issues and highlight them and really wants to it's it's hard to like put into words what my brain wants to say but she really wants to take this stuff and run with it and highlight these issues in a way that helps bring impactful change just like Abby's doing and um you know she talks about the, the lack of women being enrolled in medical trials in history. It's, it's very new that women are included at all. And even then, it's, it's generally white, relatively abled uh, uterus owners. It's very cis-heteronormative. Um, and you know, just, just talking about some of these issues is really important. And then there's also Michelle Lent Hirsch, who just followed me on Twitter the other day, and I maybe literally cried. <laughs> For someone who doesn't like crying, it really seems like I cry a lot, huh? Uh, but <laughs> Michelle has a, a book that's just come out as well. It's called Invisible, How Young Women with Serious Health Issues Navigate Work, Relationships, and the Pressure to Seem Just Fine. Um, she was in her 20s when a number of health issues hit, and 
She dealt with the idea of disclosure at work, with disclosure to partners, to friends, um, and, and some of those things that we really struggle with. Um, and, and she really talks about how difficult it is to be sick when you're young um, and, and to have a lack of information, a lack of experience in the healthcare field, um, a, a lack of that ability to stand up for yourself against, you know, white coats and, and some of those things. And I am just absolutely floored by the amazing books coming out right now about these issues. There are so many more I could talk about. I don't want to make this like a five-hour podcast episode. <laughs> but um, there's a lot a lot, a lot, a lot going on right now, which is absolutely fantastic. And it is so needed. Um, so needed. And the, the last thing I do want to mention, um, too, before I get into this episode with Isabel, is um, kind of related to pain and kind of not. Uh, <laughs> I am running a giveaway right now with... Silk, uh, S-Y-L-K, which is a lubricant brand that is uh, water-based. It uh, has an extract from the kiwi vine in it to help um, with viscosity. It's it's a really good lubricant. Um, and that giveaway starts now, started this morning, and um, will end at 11.59 p.m. Central Time on April 12th. And that giveaway is for um, for one three-ounce tube of silk uh, for you and one for a friend. So how you enter is you go over to our Instagram page, which is at chronic underscore self underscore love. Um, find that post, which I'll, I'll link directly to it in the show notes for ease. But um, you just comment on there and tag a person that you want to share silk with, whether it's someone that you know um, deals with pain as well and you want them to have a good time, or someone that you know that deals with vaginal dryness and um, discomfort and you want them to have some ease, or um, someone you know that just like sex and might want to try out a different kind of lube. <laughs> Um, you know, tag them in the, in the comments and then you'll both be entered to win. So that that's how it would work is if we choose you, then your friend also wins, if that makes sense. Um, and I, I will, you know, shoot the winners uh, who are going to be chosen at random a private message on Instagram by April 17th. And then, you know, after if people don't respond, like, We'll figure out a timeline after that, but um, just a, just a couple quick notes. The contest is only open to U.S. citizens age eighteen and up. Sorry, Canadians and all you other lovely people. Um, it's void where prohibited. It's no way sponsored, endorsed, administered by, or associated with Instagram. Although that's where the contest is being run. Uh, there's no purchase necessary, and making a purchase does not increase your chances of winning. It's literally, I'm going to, like, pick a random person. So <laughs> I might, like, write names down and pick them out of a hat. I don't know yet. But it will be random. Um, 
and yeah, it's it's a really great lube. I really enjoy it. Um, it's a water-based one that doesn't feel so tacky afterwards. And I'm really excited to be able to run this giveaway with them. They're really a company that I enjoy and believe in. And um, they do really great stuff. They have uh, donated samples for me to give away at Clexicon coming up in a couple weeks. Um, and a couple tubes to give away there. So stay tuned. And... Um, yeah, I'm really excited to, to be able to work with them. So now that I've got all that good stuff out of the way, um, I am going to pop in my interview with Isabel. And I really, really hope you enjoy it. I had a ton of fun talking with her. And um, I, I'm just really excited to be able to share her story. Hi, Isabel. I'm so glad that we get to talk today. Hi. Glad to be here. Um, for our listeners who may not know who you are, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Yes. So I'm Isabel Lauren. I have my own blog at isabellauren.com. And I mainly blog about feminism, um, celebrating female sexuality, uh, these types of things. I do a couple of, I have done a couple of uh, sex toy reviews, but that's not really my main focus. I just like to blab on about six months. <laughs> it is really fun to talk about. It is. Yes, definitely. And, especially and I like if I, to, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, especially because I don't really have anyone in my own life to talk about it. So it's nice to just have that outlet. Oh, Absolutely. And I like that your site is just very clean. You know, it's very streamlined. It's very accessible. Um, and I think that's something that's that's really needed. I know a lot of people like to, like, load up their sites with gifts and stuff, and that can make it hard to read. So thank you for not doing that. Oh, thank you. I'm <laughs> glad you like it. I like that clean look myself. So, And I like reading my site and any other site, really, on my phone. So a clean look really helps with that. Absolutely. Um, so I know that we've talked a little bit before about the fact that you have endometriosis. And I know it's been a, a really long journey in um, handling that. And I'd love to hear yeah. more about like how that started for you and, and kind of your journey throughout the years with that. Okay. Well... I guess it started when I was 12 and I had my very first period. I remember it was a summer holiday. My sister had got her period a couple of days before me. And then I had my period and she went off and she played and she was fine. And I was um, in the caravan, curled up on the couch, doubled over in pain, crying. And my the period just went from bad to worse from there on. Uh, because my mother never had cramps, my sister didn't have cramps, Everyone thought I was just exaggerating, right? So at first, my mom kept saying, oh, get up, don't don't whine, don't be ridiculous, you have to go to school, all that. Um, but after a couple of months, she realized, yeah, there, there may be something else going on. And I saw my doctor, my just my GP, loads of times, and he was very, very skeptical, wouldn't believe me. Um 
I remember vividly. He kept giving me painkillers, though. So he did do that. But he wouldn't refer me to, I didn't know about gynecologists at age 12, 13, 14. My mother never mentioned it and the doctor never mentioned it. But I remember when I was, must have been 15, so it must have been gone on for like three years then. And I came to the doctor and I said, I just can't handle the pain. It's really horrible. Something is wrong. This can't be normal. And he said, are you in your period now? And I said, yes. And he said, well, you're here now, aren't you? How bad can it be? And I just remember, yeah, I remember sitting there and I remember going, but this is not, this is a good day. It's not always like this, but, and you know how you start to just doubting yourself and you start, and you start thinking, well, maybe I am exaggerating. Maybe everyone feels like this and everyone is able to handle it. And I'm the only one who can't handle it. So it must be not so bad. I must just be a win. And that's just, and that went on for, I mean, eventually I stopped going to the doctor. Um, I did go on the pill, which helped a bit. And um, I just muddled through it for a very long time until, well, I got married um, and then I got pregnant and had a miscarriage. And it was after the miscarriage. I mean, it was horrible to have a miscarriage, but it was a blessing in disguise because after that, I had a DNC and then I had really strange pains afterwards. And I, every time I sat down, it was like someone was just shoving a knife up my vagina. And so I went back to, the, to my um, obstetrician and I said, you know, I have pains and he thought it was maybe an infection. So he put me on antibiotics and pain didn't go away. So I was admitted to hospital and got intravenous antibiotics. And after a week, the pain didn't go away. He couldn't find signs of infection. And he said, I'm going to do a laparoscopy because I want to see what's going on. And it was, and yeah, and I was right. terrified. I thought, oh my goodness, what's going on? And um, and he said, it's only going to be 20 minutes. I'm just going to go in, have a look. There's probably nothing, but we just want to rule out everything else. My husband sat in the waiting room. Three hours later, I came out. And yes, and he said he found oh extensive gosh. endometriosis on all my organs, on my bladder, uh, my bowel, obviously the outside of my uterus. And he said, I don't have, did you never have any pains then? Did you not complain about period pains? Because that kind of endometriosis would have caused considerable pain. And at that moment, I thought, oh, my God, I didn't make it up. This is real. There, is really, there was really something wrong with me. And that moment of, of getting that diagnosis was so, I mean, obviously, you don't want to hear that you have an incurable disease. But to know that you didn't make it up is so amazing. I, I know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. It's like so validating and, you know, just reminds you how much, how, how important it is to trust your gut, like trust yourself in those kinds of situations. After my first period. So I had 17 years of doubting my own experience with pain and, and, that doesn't really just go away just because you got a diagnosis. So I find, I mean, I was 29 when I had my diagnosis. I'm 40 now. And I still find that when it comes to pain, I cannot accurately assess whether my pain is normal or not. Not just cramps or just any pain. And that is definitely from 17 years of being told there's nothing wrong with you. 
stop whining. Everyone has period pains. Everyone has cramps. It's part of being a woman. And yeah, that just, I, I, I just find when it comes to period pain or any female pain, I guess, it, it, you're just not being taken seriously. And I remember, I mean, I, I was lucky in the sense that I was able to conceive. I had two children. Um, but as I said before, and, and you know, endometriosis is not, you can't cure it. It does come back. And you can be on the pill and you can have the surgery. And if the surgery is very good, I mean, they, they scrape it out and everything. But, you know, they don't know what causes it because no one wants to research it. Uh, so it did come back. Um, and I just took painkillers and went on the pill again. And I didn't really want it because I moved from, I, I was in Canada when I was diagnosed and then I moved to the UK and I just didn't want to go through that whole process of convincing a doctor that something is wrong and that it should be looked at and that it should be fixed. And so I, I ignored it for probably five years. And then I found the Endometriosis Society here in the UK, and they're very good, and they're with help and, and information. And it turns out there are specialist endometriosis centers in the UK. So, yeah, it is really amazing because they have, obviously, they have gynecologists, oh, wow. and they have dedicated nurses that help you with pain relief, and they have counselors if you need counseling to deal with it in your day-to-day -day life. And that, I, I just, it, blew, it blew, blew me away when I heard that. I thought, this is just amazing. I need to get a referral to that. And there is one close to where I live, not in the same city. So I went to my own GP and I said, I want to have a referral to this. I have endometriosis. I know it's come back. Um, so can I have a referral to this center so I can be treated properly? And the first thing he said was, how do you know it's come back? How, how can you tell? And I'm like, I've had it for 30 years, and you're questioning whether I can tell in my own body the symptoms of a disease that I've had for that long. So I got really upset, and I said, I don't need to justify myself to you. I can request a referral to any gynecologist I want, and I want that gynecologist. And he said, what are your symptoms? And I, so I told him, and he said, well, I think we should just – refer you to a regular gynecologist and they can refer you on. And I said, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to have that. That would take months because you know how it is. It takes three months to get a referral to the one gynecologist and another six months to another. So yes, I had to fight with him to get, I said, I'm not leaving here until you've written me a referral to that gynecologist. And he said, they won't take you anyhow, but I can, I'll, I'll write it, but they won't take you anyhow. I mean, this is a doctor. Who's there to help you? So he wrote it. Um, That's horrible. And then, uh, they accepted me. And then the doctor agreed to do a hysterectomy and take away all the endometriosis that was there, which turned out not to be that much. Which, when I came to and he said, Oh, there was not that much endometriosis, I thought, Well, how can that be? I was in a lot of pain. And it turned out that when they did the biopsy, I also had adenomyosis. You know what that, you know what that is, right? Okay, so endometriosis is where your uterine 
tissue grows outside of the uterus and gets into other organs and such. But adenomyosis is where you have um, growths in the wall of your uterus. So that means that your uterus can't really, it's not flexible anymore. It basically just kind of solidifies. And if you have period cramps, it just all squishes together and creates all this pain. So um, I just uh, I just thought, well, that makes sense that I don't have endometriosis or not much endometriosis, but I still have pain because that's what this causes. So, yeah, so now I, I don't have any pain anymore <laughs> for the first time in mm-hmm. a very, very long time. But it's just, I don't know. It's just been really horrible, you know, to live with that much pain. Yeah, and and to have kind of physician after physician tell you that that's not what it is, that you don't know your body that you need to just, it is, you know, because it affects every up part of your life. And, and kind of deal with it. That's just gets worse. horrendous. It's not just, well, you have your period. It's you have pelvic pain all the time and it goes into your legs and into your back. And depending on where it sits, I had it really shooting down my legs all the time. And you just become miserable. And you just, and then my husband and I didn't really have sex anymore because it was too painful. And even being aroused, I was, I, it, that caused pain, especially when I had the adem- adenomyosis because the contraction of my uterus was like, mm-hmm. eh. And so, yeah, so we, we just, I don't know, in, in the end, afterwards, oh, now sure. that I look back, I think I should have had more support. I probably should have talked to my husband a lot more, but because I thought I was just a whiner, I didn't really do much about it i just thought well i just have to like you say woman up go through it have sex when i don't really feel like it or when it hurts me because i'm just whining and he needs sex and um otherwise he's gonna cheat on me and leave me and you know how that's images out there and afterwards when i talked to him he said why didn't you never tell me that it hurt that bad I would have never wanted Mm -hmm. to have sex with you and hurt you that's awful and that's just the communication there I'm like yeah maybe I should have kind of talked about it but no one really talks about it do they no one talks about your period or what's wrong with pain and sex yeah well, and and especially when it sounds like the majority of the physicians that you saw who were very dismissive of your symptoms were male, that adds another layer onto it, right? Because why well, exactly. would you want to tell your husband then you think, well, that, that you're going through this when even so a physician I, won't take you seriously? I shouldn't feel like this. It's wrong for me to feel like this, and therefore I should just ignore it and adapt as much as I can. But now that I don't have a uterus anymore that can hurt me and I don't have a cervix anymore that can hurt me and I have sex that actually feels really good all the time, it's, I, I just look back and think, 
all those wasted years, I could have, I could have enjoyed my life. I could have, you know, and, and I am lucky that I had a doctor that was willing to perform a hysterectomy because I was only 39 when I had it. So there's lots of, I've heard of lots of women whose doctors have said, you're too young or you don't have children and you might meet a man who wants children as if that is the responsibility of the woman. I mean, if you don't have a uterus anymore and you meet a man who wants children, well, you can either adopt or the man can move on and find someone else. Why should we continue to be in pain? Because a man sometime along the line might want to have a child. Right. Yes. Yes, it is. And I just, but it's also, I, I, it's, I do blame the doctors. That's horrendous. In a, in a, in a sense, I also blame my own mother, who never took me seriously either. It's not like she was champion for me. And as a child, you need that. You need your parents to stand up and say, my child is in pain. Mm-hmm. You're not doing anything about it. I want to have an expert opinion on what is going on with my child, because this isn't normal. I don't care what you say. No one can should be in this much pain. But my mother didn't do that. She just, she didn't. I mean, eventually she didn't say, she stopped saying, oh, you're just exaggerating. But because that was her initial reaction, it kind of sticks in the back of your mind and you don't really want to create too much of a fuss. And and so I just, I don't know, I just think that overall, I mean, it's not just endometriosis, but overall we should take period pain much more seriously. And because, you know, some women bleed a lot and are very weak, because of loss of blood and why can't we just make some provision for that in the workplace and in social life why isn't it acceptable to say i have my period it's a very bad day i'm going to you know take a day off i'm going to stay at home or i'm not going to go out tonight i'm not going to be with my friends i'm going to take care of myself and and just relax but it's still all that stigma of periods are gross and you're not you don't talk about it and you know you blood, which I think is very damaging if you teach girls that they shouldn't be talking about that. Absolutely. And I I think, you know, the way that media portrays period pain as you know, oh, we're going to use this blue liquid on this menstrual pad like you're some sort of alien instead of like something that's red or we're going to show these women using a tampon and now they're able to dance around and do jumping jacks um, when they were afraid to before because they might like bleed yes, everywhere. Like, so you never like really those kinds of things, I think, movies, further reinforce that stigma. Just curled and up in bed with a water bottle moaning that the period hurts. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't even use tampons because it hurts so much to put them up there. So you then see all these women, like you say, having a tampon in and dancing around and being all happy. And you think, what's wrong with me? Everyone else seems to be fine. Everyone else seems to be jumping around and moving on with life as if nothing's wrong. And I remember speaking with my sisters even after I got my diagnosis and I, 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 you know, I had the surgery and everything. And they're like, 
oh, wow, wow, I never realized uh, that, that you were in that much pain. And I'm like, I was literally on the floor crying. How is that not realizing that I'm in a lot of pain? I mean, I, how you clearly just ignore that or I don't know, like how can you not realize that someone is in a lot of pain when they mm-hmm. are like that? But it's, again, it's because you don't really talk about it. It's I, I just went upstairs and was I was by myself and, you know, my mom didn't want me downstairs moaning around in pain. It was, uh, go, go upstairs, get a hot water bottle, take care of yourself. Sounds like my mom was really horrible. But she really wasn't. She was just a very old school mother, I guess. and i you know thinking about the generation that that your mom grew up in that makes a lot of sense um why she wouldn't necessarily understand that you are actually in that amount of pain um and I think it I think it could make sense for for your siblings as well. Um, you know, we we ascribe so much of our period experience, at least in media, to the the emotional roller coaster of having a period. And so I think it's really easy yes. for people to just be like, oh well, she's on her period, so She's going to have mood swings, so maybe that's why she's crying all the time, or you know, something like that. That is absolutely just absolutely. atrocious yes. and feeds into yeah, that and, and, and the whole oh, um, continual stigma oh, of women being PMS hysterical. PMS, yes. Oh, you, you know, oh, she's she's grumpy. Like I used to be very grumpy, yes, but it wasn't because of emotions; it's because I was in a lot of pain. And people expected me to go to work and, yes. and do things. And you could just feel, I could feel my period coming on. And especially if I was at work, I would just start sweating. And I would think, Absolutely. You know, you, you, you'd feel that ball of pain starting in the bottom of your, your belly. And I could barely walk. And especially if that started, if it came on at work, I would sit in meetings thinking, I can't even get up. I don't know how I'm going to, at the end of the meeting, walk back to my desk and act as if everything is normal. And it would be lovely if we could have a society in which I could say, you know, I just felt my period come on. Can you give me a moment? I just need to sit here for a while. Or can you grab me a hot water bottle? Or can you grab me my pills? Just ask for help. But you can't even do that because then it's it, it's frowned upon at the best. And it's people are horrified if, if you even use the word period, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and it's I think too the the miseducation or lack of education that a lot of men have around periods um just feeds into that cycle too. I've I've seen um there's some memes going around where you know this kid is like I don't know how you guys bleed from your urethra all the time or or things like that where they don't even understand what a period is or how a period affects even just the uterus and that part of the body, let alone the rest of, of a person. And um, I think that just feeds into it. They don't 
They don't know, so they don't want to know. They don't want to hear about it, and that's what yes, kind exactly, of keeps because, all of us I mean, who we have periods, you know, using kind of right. a whisper network, for lack of a better term, to talk about all of these or things. Even sometimes our own, own partners, male partners, um, we we don't want to upset them. We don't want them to be grossed out, so we don't talk to them about it. And since when is is Oh, well, I shouldn't say since when. Obviously, I know since when, since ever. We are very sensitive to what men think. Let's not upset the men. Let's not, you know, they should have this. And I think it goes back to men having this image of, you know, women are, are pure and beautiful and, and they have to be perfect. And and mm-hmm. when the reality is we we bleed, we, we are in pain, we get we do get grumpy. And we, we don't have to always say, oh, well, that's just because she's on her period. No, we get grumpy because of other things. And we have pain. And we are we should be allowed to not grit our teeth and go through it, the pain, but just say, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to get my hot water bottle. And you leave me alone. Or I'm going to go seek help. And someone will actually listen to what I have to say. Because why does it have to take? And I'm an I'm an exceptional case, I think. 17 years is a very long time to be diagnosed. But in the UK, it takes an average of seven and a half years. So that is seven and a half years of having that much pain before you get a diagnosis of endometriosis. Could could you imagine a man going to the doctor and saying, God, my every month my balls just hurt like hell. Do you know how fast they would be sent through all kinds oh of God. specialists to figure out why their balls hurt so much? No one says to them, well, that's just part of being a man. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And no, and, and like how quickly some sort of pill would be developed or something like that and and be able to go through um you know Oh yeah. Like read, like here we I have the FDA, like be able to go through the drug approval process without having to take some of the necessary steps in testing. Like it would be completely fast tracked for them. It's staggering. It's just say five for female sexual pain and two hundred in erectile dysfunction and that's not even painful that's just you can't get it up well you know too bad then whereas a woman has to sit there and be in pain and people are like oh well you're in pain who cares you must be hysteric you must be exaggerating you weak females Mm -hmm. well yes that's ridiculous and I do think that that doctors, male doctors especially, but I, I don't rule the female doctors out either, but I do believe that you just need attention. They, think, oh, they just want to have attention. That's how I was treated. Like, oh, why, why are you I... here? Oh, you're in pain. Well, it's just a period. What are you whining about? Well, no, I am in real, real pain. And then to be told, well, you're here now, aren't you? You're on your period. It can't be that bad. Well, that's just ridiculous. It is. It's absolutely atrocious. I I have to say, I think things are changing for the better. Um, 
I have a friend with endometriosis who just had her book come out, um, Abby Norman, and her book is called Ask Me About My Uterus. And it kind of goes through not only her process of uh, having a very similar story to yours, though not quite as long. I think you are correct that you are uh, a very interesting exception to the rule Um, because that was such a long time. But, you know, Abby was in college and she had to drop out. She had to work different jobs because she couldn't, you know, do some of the jobs she was working before and essentially had to become her own doctor for a really long time before any physician would take her seriously. Um, And, you know, Thankfully, she's been able to to kind of turn it around and use it as a way to educate and, um, you know, has given speeches at the Endometriosis Society um, in New York. Like they have a conference every year. So she's spoken there. But I, I've seen there's a couple other books coming out right now around similar um, topics around, um, you know, like why do we not take women's pain seriously or around how women who have a chronic illness yeah, are... Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there is... Extra discouraged from talking about, talk about periods the things they go about, through. And I think... And, and there is more awareness I think it's a good thing. I think things are changing. You know, I'm go wrong. ever the optimist and, with that kind um, of stuff, though. <laughs> yeah, it's... It definitely... The tide is turning. It's just... It does still take a long time. And we're not there yet um, at all. But you're right. It does... It, it, it is getting better. Yes, and I'm I'm so glad because it is far past time. Think about your case. Think about all the other people who maybe just didn't ever have an ability to go see a physician then. Um, yeah, and how difficult it's been for women throughout generations to be able to get any sort of pain yes. relief, yes. let alone exactly. pain relief for anything you know, quote unquote, like female related. Because they never talk about it as like actual, like vaginal pain. It's always female related yeah, or woman related. Yeah, not a dirty word. It's just a body part. But um, it's absolutely yes. ridiculous. Why? Why can't we stop talking in euphemisms and just say what we mean? I just don't. Yes, yes that hinge that. <laughs> right? It's just like an elbow. It's it's there. <laughs> I don't think anyone else I know would call an elbow like that over there thing or like Right. Um but I I think oh, I was probably yes. and yeah. I, I volunteered really with my parenthood throughout high school and stuff. But even then, I think I was probably I nineteen by the time I felt comfortable saying terms, words like vagina and penis instead of like oh her downstairs. <laughs> so yeah, we can just call it what it is. Yeah. Exactly. 
I I think that uh, training in med- medical school is um, something that's a hard barrier to get past. Thinking about, you know, all this hope I have for the future when we talk about, you know, any sort of pain a woman might experience. But I think one of the tricky things, especially here in the U.S., um, there was a a survey a couple of years ago in 2013 um, in the U.S. and Canada, only 54% of the schools that were surveyed um, responded and said they provided three to 10 hours of sexual health education. And the bulk of that, and that that's in their whole, um, you know, medical education experience. And the bulk of that is, uh, you know, fertility related, or like we were talking about a minute ago, I has don't to do with know, the male anatomy and, you know, erectile dysfunction and how do we I've, fix that? My experience um, has been with um, so I know at least for over see, here, apart from the that's a barrier to get past. Um, it's been very... How is it yeah, over there? Do you know? I don't know. It, it doesn't sound like they have a lot of knowledge about, especially the the female um, yeah, sexual experiences. But I, I don't know what the statistics are. It might very well be that they get very good education here, but it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't. And you're right, like that is also one of the, the areas that we can really improve in because, as and, and like you said, what I find really interesting about what you just said was that a lot of the sexual education is around fertility. That really goes back to the woman being just the childbearer and her own sexual experience is absent from that or inferior to it. It doesn't really matter if she enjoys herself um, as long as she can have children and, and and it's a sort of like that with endometriosis as well because obviously when you have endometriosis you can be less fertile and that is often where the attention is how can how can we help you have children and obviously for some women it's very important but that's not that's not what the problem is with endometriosis it's first and foremost the pain and the, the, the issues around your period. And yes, infertility is is part of it, but not what we should be focusing on. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And and I think there's always this assumption too that um, that women want to have children, right? That oh, you must want to be a mother because we've indoctrinated you from birth with baby toys and yeah. But all, if you had nothing, even if you were perfectly you woman to and you be want no children, a mother, you shouldn't and, have to justify it. And I find it, it really children, hard as someone who doesn't want to have kids just deal? because it's a choice. At this point, I have 16 diagnoses and growing, and I don't think <laughs> that I can. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's just so interesting to me that it's always assumed that everyone wants a child. And, and I think... Uh, for the first little while after I got married to my husband, like 
I was getting a lot of pressure from no. um, my sister-in-law to yeah, and, and like, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? Because she wants to like be an aunt, which incapable. I can understand, but also like miscarriages. You don't have to. I just find it very reinforce that societal expectation without like checking in with someone first. In my opinion, and even if you don't outright ask, there's always people that will. So when we can hear it, when can we hear? Or you probably want to have a bigger house because you want to have a nursery. Why? Maybe I don't want children. Don't assume that that a woman wants to have children. And that also goes with what is. I said earlier about women who have endometriosis. They want to have a hysterectomy, but because they don't have children, it's almost like well, you might change your mind. You might want to have children at one point, and then well, isn't that up to me to decide? You're the doctor. You you should be you should care about my well being, not worry about what society might think about me not having children. That's not really that shouldn't be part of my health plan. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. And I think it, it it comes to a point where like, I feel like people should not assume either way until a patient voices. I mean, you could have a conversation about it, but, you know, don't assume either way. And I think, um, you know, what, what you just said about how people won't be able to get hysterectomies or anything like that, if they're, you know, quote unquote, too right. young and might change their mind. Um, you know, I don't have plans to yeah. have a hysterectomy. I don't have any, like, medical need to have a hysterectomy. But I don't want to have periods anymore. Um, I take my birth control continuously, so I very rarely have, like, breakthrough bleeding. But, like, that comes with its own risks because, yay, hormones. Um, and I've, I've talked to my GP, who is also an OBGYN, and – you know, like, oh, like, we've decided we really don't want kids. Like, uh, is there something else we could do instead of the pill? Um, and, and the two responses I've gotten are, well, the pill's working right now, right? Yeah. I'm like, well, okay, yeah, yeah, I take a handful of pills every morning, and that's just one of them. So, okay. Um, and then, you know, the, the other one is, well, I just really don't feel comfortable doing anything on anyone that's like – as young as you are. And it's, it's so frustrating, you know, even her, like she's a female doctor. She should have a little bit more, I guess, compassion about that kind of stuff where like I've decided so, yes. I have had the decision made for a while. Um, and, it, and you would but, think, yeah, and it's, I guess, it's like, like that's a big it's, assumption it's on my part, but you I think the generalized assumption is that anyone who sees a female doctor would would get about your own body um, a little more compassion. It's in those your kinds decision, of not to want, and, and and the decision to have a child. Yeah. People always say, "Oh, well, it's selfish not to want to have children." Well, no, it isn't, because it's a huge decision. It's selfish to bring a child in the world that. You know, you, you you are responsible for this person. You might not be able to care for this person. I think that's just as selfish as not having children. 
and being pregnant is no joke. That's not uh, it. I never. I I have two children, and I didn't. I didn't enjoy being pregnant. I like having children, but I didn't enjoy being pregnant, and I didn't enjoy giving birth. So it's and it's very hard on your body. So it's not like you know what I mean. Like it's not. It's not that. That's not a light decision either. People always say, "Oh, well, you might change mind," but maybe people should say, "Oh, are you really sure you want to have a child? It's really going to change your whole life, your whole body, everything." Maybe we should be a bit more careful about deciding to have children rather than the other way around. Yes, I love that. And I think um, this is my like immigration and population health nerdness from college coming up. But, um, you know, I, I was in an immigration class and we were studying population growth within certain countries. And I think one thing that Europe has over the US is there's slightly less of this expectation that everyone has to have kids and there are fewer people actually having kids, like making that decision not to have kids. And it's it's starting here more. Yeah, I think um, you're right. I think I my think generation, the, maybe because the there's more, 25 to 30-year-olds are really going, here in Europe. no, this but is, I know not, my sister doesn't this is not my life. I don't want that. Um, and and so being a little She's bit more mindful with that healthy, stuff. But I think that's something that Europe has had. For I, I a little bit of a longer that. time now, um, but yeah, and I, I do think that they get less, let's call it backlash or less questions about that decision than I maybe in the US you would get. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. So I have yeah. these three questions oh, I say that I've Can been I say asking everybody really to answer at the end of the show. <laughs> it's one of those words um, I just can't I'm seem to I'm very stop excited saying. to hear your answers. <laughs> So the the first one is what is your favorite curse word or like curse word replacement? I know some people will say like fudge instead of fuck. <laughs> yes. That's so true. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, yeah, too that it's just very versatile. Like you can say it jokingly, you can say it with anger. Yes, like, you can say it yeah. happily. It just it doesn't matter how you say it. You can change it to fit any situation. What is which is fantastic. I, I think that's why it's my favorite. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I also have been getting more comfortable with the word cunt, <laughs> which 
still feels a little funny to say, but um, I I think I think part of that is I like having so many friends so like, like scattered around the bed. world, right? And if, talking to people, be like, "Hey, um, how you doing, cut?" Like, <laughs> I like to be in bed, sit up in bed with my book and sometimes fun. a glass of wine, um, <laughs> and just have people leave me alone. What's your favorite thing to do for self care? Like when you need to <laughs> yeah. recharge your batteries, I don't get to do it a lot. What is yeah. <laughs> one of your go to things? Mm. <laughs> oh right that is really nice <laughs> that, that sounds oh, like a perfect thing to do <laughs> I, I think my husband would say that's probably his favorite too, aside from the wine. He's not a drinker, which... Yeah, that's true. Isn't that funny? Um, We live in Wisconsin, which is kind of like known for being the state full of drunk people because so many... So many breweries are here and things like that. And and he just doesn't drink. Yeah, it, it works out well for I me because I have a designated I driver this. anytime um, I do drink. And I like about myself that I'm very organized. Uh, what is your and favorite very thing boring, about yourself? And I that could be like a, a physical <laughs> attribute. It could be a personality trait. Just just anything that you really is, like about yourself. But it yourself. can backfire when you – because sometimes I'm too efficient with my time. And I don't plan any downtime. So even when I'm, say, on the train, if I have to go to London <laughs> for a course and I'm, I'm on the train, I bring my laptop and I do some writing or some blogging That's rather good. than just relaxing. That's a good trait to so have. So it sometimes can backfire, but mostly it works for me. All right. Mhm. I um I would think my husband would have the same thing to say yes, about me. I don't I, plan I work down time. time. As well, so I, um, I'm always I'm thinking always writing something, whether it's my own stuff or like for freelance gigs that I'm working on, and it do anything fun. It can be very difficult, right? To to plan for some downtime and to take care of yourself yes that's true we could do that mm-hmm. i think so too maybe, yeah That's maybe so we can be accountability do. buddies and help each other <laughs> Yeah. I th- I think a lot of sex educators are like this. The sex educators and sex bloggers where we just don't sit down. <laughs> there is especially in like our current global climate, it just the work never ends. Um I I'm so glad that 
I got to talk to you today You're and that welcome. you shared your story you with us. Um, I am sure um, it's not then, always fun to kind of go through some of those memories. And um, here, I really appreciate you sharing something that I, I am sure could be vulnerable to do so. So thank you so much. course absolutely absolutely and i think the more we talk about it the more we'll help to shift the mindset of our culture yes and the more um you know, younger people will realize that it they don't have to sit in pain. They don't have to listen to a doctor reject them. Um, and, and we can really change lives by just by telling our story and reminding people to advocate for themselves. Okay. I'm not sure if you heard some of the glitches on that. I'm not sure what's going on with that. Sometimes my internet is shit and <laughs> things happen. Um, Hopefully most of that was was easy to listen to. Crossing my fingers. Um, I'm I'm really, really grateful to have had Isabel on the show. And I am so glad to be able to share um you know more of the stories of doctors not believing in patients, especially young femme people. Um because that is definitely where a lot of my experience <laughs> lies. Um, I'm still kind of battling to get whatever my, I, I call it my neuro what the fuck, um, is under control and recognized. Um, I So a, a little bit more about kind of what I've been dealing with. Um, in 2012, I was on a vacation with my now husband, and we were driving. It was like a we drove out to Gettysburg and down to Antietam and through the um, Shenandoah Valley and, and, and then back through like Ohio and some things. And we'd stopped at a, a museum at, a, at an Air Force base to look at all these cool planes because. Just something that we both love, and it's you know a museum. Just how can you not? Um, and I got really overheated and very dizzy, and my my hands started tingling. Um, and it 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 was very uncomfortable. I had to sit down. I was disoriented. Um, it was almost like I was half asleep, but I wasn't. <laughs> And, um, it was really scary. It was the first time I've ever had something like that happen. Um, but a couple months later when I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I thought maybe that was it. And so I didn't push. I've had it like here and there, like every couple months I'll have maybe one, um, event of it up until, last year um so in in 2017 um by the time february came around january february i was dealing with this 
on a relatively normal basis. Um, I it, it's almost like a a wave of sedation. Um, I get a lack of sensation, not always pins and needles numb, but just just lack of sensation numb, and it kind of feels almost like it rushes down from my neck down into my arms. Um, down through my torso and occasionally and more often now down even into my legs Um, to the point where like the the sides of my legs like above my knees um, on on the outside of my body like those outside thigh parts um, oftentimes are incredibly numb even to prickling fingernail scratching some of those things and and that started to be, um, you know, relatively every day at that time period last year. I got in with a neurologist. Well, well, first I called my rheumatologist and I was like, the fuck? And we did x-rays to make sure it was nothing as far as an impingement or some sort of something like that. Um, and to make sure there wasn't any, like, damage Um from an arthritis or or just bone structure standpoint in my neck, since that's kind of where it felt like it was originating from. Um, I then got in with neurology and uh, in the One Health system, and, you know, we did MRI of my brain and uh, cervical spine, which is your neck, and um, a bunch of tests, like for myasthenia gravis and things, and that all came back negative. Um, everything looks fine. And then that the neurologist and his partner both left, so now there's no neurology department at this one health system. So I started seeing it in the university system, which I usually avoid because, honestly, the physicians are grossly overworked, and so they're just not... A lot of them don't have good bedside table stuff, and it's just not, it's not great. Um, so I got in with them and explained the situation um, and was also there to help get my migraines under control because that was nearly every day that I was having a migraine. And um, we did an MRI of the rest of my spine and aside from a bulging disc I have at L5S1, which is relatively common, um, there was nothing in my MRIs. Uh, we did, you know, an EMG and a nerve conduction test, and there was nothing there. Um, and then he basically dropped it. I saw the PA there, and she said, well, it's probably related to your migraines. Once we get your migraines under control, that will probably stop. Um, but we don't want to give you really any medications other than this um, antidepressant that can help people with uh, migraines. And it has, you know, helped a little bit with mine, along with adding in like B2 and magnesium every day. Um and so I poop great now. <laughs> My hair looks amazing. Um, and uh, I, I she, she also told me to not expect a diagnosis for what I'm going through, which was really frustrating as fuck. Um, and I'll, I'll be quite honest, there's a history of weird nerve shit in my family, and my 
great-grandmother had MS, and I know that there is, even though there were not currently any lesions that they found on my MRI, which I'm still waiting to get the images myself to look at them, um, because I've found stuff in my images before that other people haven't found, um, there's also a, it's, it's a small percentage, but it's like 5% of patients with MS where their, um, condition doesn't necessarily show up on the MRIs. So I'm still essentially going off of the idea that it could be that, um, because of other things that have gone on with some like incontinence issues, um, severe temperature sensitivity, some of those kinds of things. But um, this episode was really important for me to bring to you guys, not only because endo is not talked about very much, but also because this this thing of not believing in, in young femme people's pain is something I'm literally going through right now. Um they won't give me any medications to, um, you know, handle migraine once I have it, just these preventatives, because I am on, quote, too much as it is, unquote, which, um, by the way, it's like seven actual medications and then like five supplements, and of those seven actual medications, um, I could be able to come off of some of them if I wasn't, uh, if, if I had a diagnosis, if we were treating this nerve stuff, if my migraines were more under control, um, and some of them literally are there to keep me alive. It's not like I'm on a list of 30 medications and I'm, I'm very frustrated with the lack of empathy at that office and I have to go see them in a couple weeks where I will again say I need a board of meds for migraines and if they won't give it to me um I'll just stop seeing them and see my primary because it's not great (laughs) uh I kind of verbally vomited there I needed to but um I just want to share that this is something that I am going through right now. It is not uh, a process I'm unfamiliar with. Um, After having to fight to get my pelvic floor stuff recognized for years, my fibromyalgia recognized for years, this is not something I'm, I'm foreign or it's not something foreign to me, but um, I know it's, really hard to feel like you're alone in these things. And I want you to know if you are going through that stuff, I'm here. Um, I'm not great for emotional support right now, just because I am kind of, you know, dealing with my own stuff. Um, But but you are not alone um, in dealing with this stuff. And if you want to see other ways you're not alone, you should go check out the hashtag how to piss off disabled people because <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic it's a bunch of us sharing things that we are going through have had 
told to us, um, see here, etc. And it was started by Imani Barberin, who um, runs Crutches and Spice and created the the hashtag Dis the Oscars to get more disability representation. Um, it's it's really taken off quite amazingly, and it's also been incredibly therapeutic to share. Um, some of the things that I've been through and to have other people be like, oh my God, no, me too. Um, but also have other people be like, you know what, after seeing all the shit you've been through, I'm really sorry. Like, I would like to give you a hug. Um, and sometimes having that level of empathy, even if it's not necessarily that shared experience empathy, but just like, holy shit, look at all the things you've been through, um, is really cool and incredibly heartwarming um and and again i just go check out the tag a lot of people aren't doing trigger warnings so please keep that in mind um because there are some triggering things in there not necessarily in-depth things but um mentions of of certain words and things like that so do keep that in mind (laughs) um Otherwise, let's see, what else do I have to say? We've got, I've got events coming up right now um, that I'm going to pull up because I should pull these up earlier, but I don't. (laughs) Some days I'm really, really organized and some days I'm not, and this is a not day. But um, I I just did my presentation for... um, a Planned Parenthood conference yesterday, which is honestly like incredibly validating. Um, I got to present in front of one of my absolute favorite people, Lucky, who's the head um, education coordinator at Tulsa Toys in Milwaukee. And um, just so many other people that are absolutely amazing. And to to have already come this far where I'm presenting at a, at a Planned Parenthood conference um, was really, like, I, uh, again, it sounds like I cry a lot, but I, I was in tears last night um, over how just blessed I feel. Um, I've, I've done a lot with Planned Parenthood ever since I was like 13. And so (laughs) to be on the, on the end where I am providing education for other educators and stuff was really, um, really cool. And I, I just don't even have all the words for it right now. Um, and I'm teary-eyed. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, to kind of round out the end of the podcast here, um, I do have a couple of events coming up. Um, I will be at Clexicon at the Tropicana in Las Vegas the weekend of the 5th through the 8th. Um, I am on two panels on the 6th, which is the Friday. Um, the first is about disabled LGBT representation with some of the coolest people I've ever had the chance to talk with, um, including Annie, Annie Sagara, who created the the Future is Accessible t-shirts and stuff. Um, and I'm so excited to get to hang out with them. And um, after that, I will be on a panel called Let's Get Clitterate with some amazing other sex educators. Um, like, 
like August who runs Girl Boner and like we're friends on Facebook now and like this is my life. Um, and then on Sunday I'm on a panel uh, about identity and understanding terminology that we use. Um, and then that night I'm going to see Boys to Men because I'm an adult. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I finally got up the nerve to ask for accessible tickets and there was one in the front row. And now that I have a wheelchair, um, I get to sit there and be in the front row in front of these three amazing men that I have absolutely fawned over since about the time I got sick when I was five. So (laughs) I'm freaking out a little bit in a good way. And on the seventh, I get to take pictures with um, Dominique and Kat who play Waverly Earp and Nicole Hot on Winona Earp. And I'm absolutely... Uh, just just floored by both of them and so excited that I get to spend a moment with them. Um, so so that's the next big thing I'm doing. I'll be in Vegas for a couple weeks. We're kind of going to treat it as a vacation. It's, it's not a couple weeks. It's like a week, but we're driving out and driving back. Um, and then towards the end of April, on the 21st, which is this Saturday, I'll be presenting um, on Cripping Queerness at the first ever WIS Queer Conference at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, um, and that's at the Pile Center. And and all of those and links to how to get tickets and stuff are up at facebook.com slash chronically sexy slash events. Um... What else? Don't forget to go check out that contest over on the Instagram page and um, enter to win some awesome lube and keep in touch. Take care of you and I will talk to you soon. Chronic Sex is produced every two weeks by me, Kirsten Schultz. I use music from Pottington Bear because they're awesome. You can find show notes and more over at chronicsex.org. If you're enjoying listening to the show, please subscribe, and that way you won't miss a single episode. If you're on iTunes, it'd be really chill if you take a minute to rate the show, too. Not only does it give me great feedback, but it also helps the podcast get seen by people who may not know it exists, and that's pretty cool. You can support us over at patreon.com slash chronic sex. As always, you can find links to everything at chroniccex.org from social media accounts to resources, to sex toy reviews, and more. Until next time, please take care of yourself and remember that you are a freaking 